0: and welcome to our truly scrumptious podcast where we talk food festivals, festival food, foodie friends and friends of the festival. In each episode, we will chat to some of our many friends, our celebrity chefs and bakers, food producers, festival team and other people involved in the festival world. We'll even hear some backstage gossip. It's a huge world. It's a hard-working one and great fun too, although a tad stressful at times. My name is Lottie Duncan. And I'm a food presenter, writer and eater. We want to bring our food festivals to your door, your ears, your living room and most definitely your kitchen. So draw up your chair, pour yourself something scrumptious, take the weight off your slingbacks and join us within the world of food, festivals and foodie types. On this week's episode, I'll be introducing you to my dad, Robert Duncan, and there is a chance we'll have a chat to him too. Then there is the gorgeous Lucy Ellis, one of our favourite chefs who takes to the big cookery stage every year. And Vicky Usher, who owns Humble Country, the company behind Tame Food Festival's huge and glorious shopping marquee. Vicky Usher is the very clever and very lovely lady behind Humble Country, a business that gathers many fabulous small businesses under her wings and showcases them at the Tame Food Festival every year. She makes an enormous marquee look amazing and fills it with treasures, beautiful homeware and gifts. And it smells pretty fabulous too. I'm with the gorgeous Vicky. I can see you in your beautiful kitchen. There's an Aga behind, there's beautiful tiles. It all looks Oh, it's so glamorous. You've got such a beautiful way about you, and and you're so I, everything you touch, you make it look gorgeous. And no, but it's true. No, but it's true. And when I and, and no more such than when you do Humble Country, you put Humble Country together. So, let me just explain what it is to everybody's listening. Humble Country is your business, and Humble Country. Joins us at Tame Food Festival with a massive shopping marquee, and within that marquee, you handpick, select, book, and and sort of display these incredible producers. So a lot of work. We're going to talk about all the work that's involved with you doing that. So you, I say producers. Actually, they're they're, more, they're not really producers in food. What they are is you know they can be blankets, it can be ceramics, it can be clothing, baskets, everything beautiful beautiful um, companies all within humble country and then people come in there and then they buy and they spend and they have a wonderful time and it always smells so fragrant and you make it all look so beautiful um so that's what you do vicky usher and you've been doing it for the last i'd say last five five years at tame food festival yeah which is incredible and we we're just so happy to have you because we you bring you elevate the event you make it so much better just by your presence there, um, and oh, I'm and I know you're saying, "Oh, shut up, Lottie! Oh, don't be silly." It's true. It's true. I am <laughs> <saying> that, <though. laughs> but also, you're so easy to work with as well, and you know, and we just rub along okay, don't we? You... we yeah, we do,
1: don't we? It's great fun. You are lovely to work with. <laughs> I love love being involved at TAME. I mean, it's on my doorstep literally. I'm two fields away where humble country's based where I live, and um, in fact. Having said that about my kitchen, thank you for that compliment. I think what humble country is it has sort of come about through everything I love. And so that's the natural progression on I guess. And starting five years ago, um, as you've explained, um, attracting and curating, I guess uh, these collection a collection of really lovely small businesses. Most of them are on Instagram so they don't actually have shops where they meet customers face to face. So I find them um, persuade them twist their arm, or, or not, <laughs> as the case may be, to do our events with us and have a chance to meet customers face-to-face and sell. And so there's no better place than Tame Food Festival right on my doorstep, right in the heart of the home counties where all these companies want to take part. And um, put, it's very easy to put together a lovely marquee packed full of them. And as you say, then, they. I think you're, you're kind in your words, as always, but I think they add something different to the food perhaps in the heart of the festival there but people who go to Tame Food Festival yes their food is they love therefore, I think very often to entertain and love their homes and, and love to buy and shop for other things as well as food and so what we do is add that extra different shopping experience in I suppose don't we
0: no yeah absolutely and I think it's, it's such an interesting feature as well because People, you know, we, we have the food, we have the street food, yeah. we have the cookery demonstrations, we have the masterclasses, we have live music, dog show, children's yeah. activities. So we, lot. We, <laughs> we have so many wonderful features, and that's to keep people yeah. there all day to be entertained. Yeah. So when they pay for their ticket in, they get an awful lot, um, a, a, a big Thank value they. for money, you know, and a lot of it is free once they're in. That's
1: it, a huge value for money, and I feel like we're just another element of that, and so there's a huge crossover with the sort of audience we want, the Humble Country businesses want, and that that comes to Tony Food Festival. And so you've got them there in their thousands, the visitors, and they're re-adding in this extra dimension. So as you say, there's beautiful blankets, there's tableware, um, what else did we have? Gorgeous clothing. I I think people comment quite often, there's a sort of, whilst Humble Country is homewares, gifts and accessories, there's a sort of similarity I guess, that runs across all of the small businesses that we attract. And I guess that's representative of the brand that we've hopefully created. Um, And so there's the sort of quality there with the the things that are on offer. Um, And they're things that you don't find on the high street to to buy normally. You'd have to browse through Instagram at length and then perhaps pay for delivery. Um, Whereas to meet them face to face, you do very often get to meet the person that sourced those items or made them themselves. Um, and produce a gorgeous stand you know, a mini shop that, you, that just pops up that you can just sort of walk in amongst and um, browse and, and shop so I think the concept of it works really well in this day and age where yes, we all do love the convenience of ordering online for certain things, I think the flip side of that is very strong, I think that drive to want to sort of get back to that kind of farmer's market feel of touching and seeing and, and feeling things before you buy, I think is huge yeah. And uh, and I think
0: the audience that you deliver love to do that. So, Yes Inside looks beautiful because you've got all these in- lovely, lovely businesses with all this beautiful stuff. And you and you separate it in a in a lovely way as well. So you, you make it a very e- ease of movement all the way through so people can browse, as you say, and touch and feel. It's so important. Um, but also... You have this incredible talent. Just make everything look beautiful, Vicky. Because last year, for example, you said, "Oh, I've just got. I'm um, just going to decorate the 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 outside of this marquee." And we have to just say it is just a plain white marquee, all right? Mm-hmm. And I saw you um, a couple of days before up the ladder painting everything white, and I thought, "Well, that's looking quite nice." The big signage going up. The next mm-hmm. time I look, you've got oak trees practically <laughs> on the side of it. So well,
1: you- I have to say. You are kind, but I can't take all the credit for this. What I do is, I remember somebody years ago saying to me, I've worked in events for years, as you know, Lottie, but I remember somebody saying to me years ago, this probably gets across all industries, work with people who are better at things than yourself. And so um, I do, you know, work with, I each year try and work with somebody like a flower grower, for example, locally. Um, to draw upon somebody who is an expert at then dressing and helping to dress the marquee. So we've had hops hanging up, as you know, before. Really, an old timey theme. Loads of beautiful sunflowers in milk churns at the entrance. Something that really fits my little brand and sums up autumn and fits within the food festival nicely. But no, this year it was incredible because oak trees. Again, working with the local. <laughs> yeah, she did bring out actual oak branches. She, she did forage at sort of five in the morning, and it really the entrances makes an impact says country humble country um, and and really sets off the way into the marquee so that's the sort of um, you know the scene is set if you like but I can't take all the credit for inside because other than the plain marquee as you say and housing and curating the list of who we have quite carefully you rely on I rely on all those gorgeous small businesses being representative of humble country so I did choose them quite carefully but they put on gorgeous stands, they have gorgeous things to buy, and that's what makes it, you know, the, the mix, but, but ultimately it's the exhibitors and those small businesses. It's their bread and butter, uh, you know, excuse the pun, for them to be out at an event, meeting customers, thousands of customers face to face and selling what they have on offer. And, um, and then also I find, which is another really good plus point um, for TAME and the timing of it at the end of September as it is, always um that what we find is not only are those businesses selling loads over the weekend itself from their mini shop but then they get a lot of orders coming in between the table food festival um, and christmas so you know your aunt might be there and she might buy one of the bags on one of the stands and love it and then she starts using it throughout october she loves it and she decides She's gonna buy one for her sister for Christmas. And so she rings up the company that she met at Tame and she orders another one. And then the husband, he's gonna get a laptop bag from the same business. And so so it goes. We get a lot of follow up sales, more mm. than just the weekend. And yeah. that's events, isn't it? You know, it's getting your name out and about as well.
0: And I yeah. often get emails actually after the event saying, I was in this in Humble Country and there was this one particular person. They made this. Do you know who it is? And I'm thinking uh-huh. Well no, I don't, but I know someone who does. <laughs> so
1: it is lovely. And in fact, just on the companies we have, there's people always say to me, oh, do you have the same number of people and the same exhibitors every year? Well, we don't, as you know, because I like to keep it quite fresh. And I think probably a lot of the visitors for Tame, mm. I don't know the figures on this, you back me up here or, or not, but probably come every year because they love the festival. A
0: lot of regulars. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So those regulars, I always think, they might come back and they want to see certain things in the shopping market. But I also quite like to inject a bit of freshness and bring in some new businesses as well. So I always try and get sort of 50 to 75% of the same businesses who want to do it again, which is fabulous because it works for them. And then I always try and accommodate some new local businesses as well who hear about it through word of mouth and and want to get involved. And then that keeps it fresh, you know, Mm you get some new faces.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And this year, we're trying to, I'm going to put it out here, but we, we want to get some sponsorship for you this year as well, don't we? So We do. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It'd be great. It's just finding the right brand. And whether that's a magazine or uh, somebody who's not one of my exhibitors, because then that would not quite work. But um, they'd be taking a stand inside. But um, somebody, another brand, um, who would like to sort of align themselves with Humble Country. And the small businesses that we attract and the quality of what we offer um, would, would be fantastic. And there'd be an opportunity um, to to, do all, to have all sorts of benefits. But um, the, the branding of the marquee and the dressing of the marquee and that sort of splash and uh, publicity would mm. be fantastic for somebody, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, no, It'd I think really it would be great. Doing.
0: Yeah, I, I think it would be great. And I think, we, you know, hopefully we'll see if we can get that all organised this year say just now is how hard you work on this i think people need to know how hard you work Mm -hmm. because um yes you 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 curate and you gather everyone in and you have to take the bookings for it but we're on site from monday and the event is on the following weekend so we have a week of build which is quite nice it's fairly steady until the friday when i'm pulling my hair out Mm -hmm. um and you you know we're, we're having all the marquees put up by the wonderful um gentleman at Bucks Wigwams and we always do you know we always we use the same guys don't we? I mean they're just wonderful. Yeah. God you, you yes. need a team like that to rely on, don't, don't, you? You. don't um, you? They're fantastic. So yeah. they get your they get your marquee up which is huge and then you the have yeah. the big big one. So just take through take me through what it is you do within that from when it's up until it's well, open. You're absolutely
1: right. They do the lion's share. they put up this vast white Quite plain, clean structure, and lay a lovely sort of koi matting on the floor, so it's cosy. But you're right. I mean, I then just move in and I rig up bunting everywhere. And I mean, it really is me. I mean, you know, it is just you. Think, yeah, they? they often think there's this whole team of people. No, it's just me. My husband, my lovely husband, gets roped in and puts up very big signs over the entrances. Um, but really, it's it's um dressing it, making it look really inviting. And my aim is always to get that ready and make it. This, finished as possible really before the exhibitors then arrive so they then arrive and then the stands are all divided up inside so they know where they're going to do and I greet them and show them their particular stand which they're usually very happy with a bit of jiggling around so everyone's content with their spot and then they set up as I say that's really what makes it so I just try and present a blank canvas that's as they knew it was going to be so a lot of preparation in advance people like to chat in advance, don't they, sort of say, oh, which corner am I on, and can I be next to so-and-so so that we can go and get coffee for each other? So I think it's what the exhibitors say to me in terms of feedback, um, well, most of it's good. They, they say, <laughs> they praise me for things like, you know, just being attentive and being communicative. So they can ring me up beforehand and say, oh, could you just send me a quick sketch of my stand so I can work outside if they haven't done an event before. And I think it's just being... Human with them, you know, just saying, yeah, of course, you know, it will be a handwritten sketch, and I'll send that over, and we'll have a chat. Which which orientation to stand? Where does it go? So I try. I believe in trying to prepare people in advance as much as possible. So I'd rather just have a chat with them beforehand when they book, or a couple of weeks before when they start thinking about it, than leave it. So when they get there and say, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this, you know. And I think people, exhibitors. I've been an exhibitor as well. I'm an exhibitor as well. I've seen the other side of it, which is very important. And I think sometimes it's really nice if you've got a communicative organiser, somebody you can chat with um, beforehand, so they know what they're getting. So when they arrive, it's wonderful working with you, Lottie, because they're allowed to drive right up to the edge of our marquee. You know, it makes it very easy for them. There's so much space at TAME, and you're very easy to work with. You're not sort of so regimented that people can't, you know, um, get up close to unload their vehicles, etc. And All of those things when it comes to events are so important to people, aren't they? They've got a heavy thing. So we try and make it easy, handhold. Um, it's what they knew it was going to be when they arrive. And then I just let them do their magic. And each stand then accumulate you know, together, creates this wonderful packed shopping marquee, which is, you know, people can't wait to get in there. And that's what I want. I want as many people in there as possible and as safely as possible. But I want them to all have a nice atmosphere, um, a beautiful setting, a bit of music maybe. And they feel like they're in a shopping marquee, which is what it is, and so they can really sort of indulge and I'm going to say the more shopping that goes on I'm happy because then all my <laughs> exhibitors are happy exactly. so, and you're happy you
0: know, um, we're all happy we're it's all, like an oasis of happy. calm in there as well though It's that's what's quite nice yeah. about it because you Amazing. you know you've got a very bustling you're right next to street food which is very bustling loads of mm. food and noise and smells and deliciousness yeah. and then you just walk in and it's just like calm it's, it's very nice I quite often just walk through the, every so often through the weekend just to go and oh, deep breath.
1: So I try and go that extra mile where possible. And because it's a small business and I want it to stay small, it's possible to do that. Whereas I think if you grow exponentially um, and start doing events with 60, 70, eight, you know, hundreds and hundreds of exhibitors and lots of different events, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. You know, you know. so I think by staying small as I am, I can maintain that kind of personal um, approach, which I which i like and I
0: think there's a lot to be, a lot to be said for that as well I know you know everyone always puts you under pressure to say oh you'll be expanding you're going to, you know for us yeah. how many festivals are you going to do all this and that? and I think yeah. well actually it's just two of us to start yeah. in. hang on have and we're been... managing those and actually you know there's a work-life balance as well isn't there not very only very... do you want to just have you know don't want to be working mad, mad, mad hours. Also, I think you then spread yourself too thin and you can't be personable and human and attentive to everyone. And our food festivals, you know, the the thing that people always say to us a lot of the time is, it's so well organised and I don't want to lose that. I don't want to be an event which has a reputation of just not caring and not being... Well organized because it's so important. Yeah, staying
1: manageable so you can achieve that, and that you Mm. definitely do that. Um, And you know, you complimented (laughs) me, so I'm going to compliment you now. Um, Which is that you know, it's so fun at TAME. it really is. And I know what you mean about hard work, and I do work hard. But a now, it's lovely working with you because it's fun. We've got to know each other over the last few years, so you know how I work, and I hope you know how you work. And I, I, I know what you'll probably want me to do and not do. Do you know what I mean? I sort of know how you want it to run now. And obviously, you know, I'm always open to new ideas and, and things because I know you never stand still. But I ultimately sort of I feel like we're on the same wavelength, the same page. So it makes it very enjoyable and I love it. I really do love it. It's so close to home. I can just nip home if needs be I think. And um, I've got the support of my husband, but ultimately, it, you know, once I'm there, it's wonderful, because it all just comes together each year,
0: mm-hmm. and I really enjoy it. Listen, It's lovely to talk to you, Vicky. And um, oh, I will sweet, see you sweet, sweet. see you um, for Tame Food Festival this year, 30th um, of September. It's a week later this year, so fingers crossed for the wedding. Wedding. Yeah. Fingers crossed <laughs> for the weather. Where did that come from? Wedding. Well, no
1: weddings <laughs> that weekend, I know. but well, no, I might we- be somewhere. But, um, not in Oxfordshire. I have, have we just want some sunshine dry underfoot yes. it's always nice isn't dry, it? underfoot, dry underfoot
0: dry underfoot it's long but it's very good up there because it drains so well the soil up there so we're it quite lucky not. yeah it's amazing it's always so, nice, weather.
1: It's yeah, nice but shopping weather yeah we
0: would we would like to have you know just no rain that's what i pray for no rain Really
1: enjoyed that it's Lovely been fun
0: yeah, it's been fun to catch up and yes i will see you in a few months time but i'm sure i'll see you before then as well I hope so. I hope so. Take care. <laughs> See you in September, Vicky, for another wonderful Humble Country shopping marquee to make me spend all my money. So, Robert Duncan, a world-renowned cartoonist, copywriter, designer, artist and wit, but also my dad. We are lucky to have him on board. He helps with the design of the food festivals from logos to signage and is pretty fabulous at what he does. I am in um, Robert Duncan HQ. In the bottom of your garden, in your little cabin, in my
2: gorgeous leafy line studio.
0: <laughs> and um, when I say Robert Duncan to everyone out there, they need to know that actually you're my daddy. That's true. <laughs> you are my dad.
2: That's why I'm doing this for nothing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, everyone else is charging me a fortune. Of course. Um, no, but it, I wanted to, to come and speak to you because I think, um, A, everyone should know how completely fabulous you are and what an amazing cartoonist and illustrator and designer and everything else that you keep, have been... Keep going. ...for so many years. Also, you do all the illustrations for us and all the design work for our food festivals.
2: Yes, I do, and I love it. Yeah, It's, it's one of my favourite clients, as a matter of fact.
0: Really? Yeah, I
2: love it. It's good. I've got a free hand with... A really nice lot who are very acceptable of my stuff. (laughs) Is that the right (laughs) right expression? Never mind. Anyway,
0: no, that'll do. Um, If you're wondering what the little tappy noise is in the background, it's Winnie who is in here and she's walking around on your wooden floor. So
2: she always, when she comes here, here, she always does a lot of tap dancing. She likes that. (laughs) Ever since I was watching a Fred Astaire film when she was. (laughs)
0: Yeah. she like to copy it. Um, so yeah, you you do all the illustrations for us and you've done all the design work, you've designed our logos, you redid the Tame Food Festival logo for Tame Food Festival and for our own Scrumptious Food Festivals, you've designed everything, including the Truly Scrumptious Podcast logo yeah, as well. which
2: I'm really proud of.
0: Yeah, because I, I literally just phoned you and I said, right, we've just got to quickly do this, I've got to get this up, and this is what it is, and two minutes later you came back with this and it, it looks great.
2: It does, it works very well.
0: Yeah, and the colours are good too.
2: Beautiful, yes. beautiful.
0: So you let's go back then. Let's go back to sort of when you started because I think everyone should know what it is that you do, as I said at the beginning. I just know you as my dad. I also just know you as someone who draws. It's It's weird when you're trying to describe a parent's talent to people. It just sort of happens and it's always there and you really do to a certain extent take it for granted because you just know it's always there and I think it's probably the same with Daisy with me is the fact that she just never really had to cook because she knows that I'll cook so I think it's kind of along those lines and and so with you, I've always known that you're going to draw and you've always drawn and since I, you know, when I was little I remember we played squiggles do you remember playing squiggles? oh yes every morning you'd do a funny little line across a piece of paper I'd have mm-hmm. to make a picture out of it I'd do the same for you so I've just grown up with art around me
2: since the day I was born. Ah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And it must have, at uh, one stage, you must have thought, well, actually, he must be doing this for a living because he's doing it so often. But uh, <laughs> well, I was thinking the other day, of a darling Lisa Marie died, and um, I wonder at what stage she realised that her dad was actually one of the greatest stars in the entire world. You know, yeah. I'm not making a comparison because I don't think I am quite to that level yet. <laughs> Well you, you should hear my blue spray shoes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think she never realized I think she just knew it was there and I yeah. think that's what I'm trying to say about you with art you know it's you've always just drawn and it's just been part of my life and I'm looking around now in your studio and you've got you know a p- poster up on the wall of the Queen's theater for Cluedo so not only did you design the um Cluedo poster you actually wrote Cluedo, and I think we need to talk about this now because we need to talk
2: about how unjust it is. I'd love to. <laughs> I'm not worried about how unjust it is because it was of the time when I wrote it. and
0: This is the play. We the, play, to play. The, yeah. the,
2: the, the play of Cluedo. I wrote it and I attempted to put it on locally and they did rather a good job of it. And then a producer came along and said he'd like to tour it and it ended up starting out at the... Uh, Theatre Royal in Windsor. That was the start. It broke all their box office records at that time and just carried on to tour around the country for about three years, um, which was lovely because I occasionally just caught up with it and sat there miming the the script and uh, also laughing before everybody else because I knew what was coming. <laughs> um, and it was of the time. I mean, nowadays there's uh, things like the play that goes wrong, which is much more hilarious than Cluedo ever was. There's loads of action in it, loads of incredibly funny lines, and it's just right for today. And Cluedo actually wouldn't work terribly well today. It's too formatted and it's too slow almost. I mean, it was it went down a storm in the end. Um, you know, with um, Christopher Be- <laughs> yes. Christopher Biggins was. Reverend Green and he was absolutely marvellous. And he went on the TV the whole time talking about it, and it just helped it a great deal. And it was a very happy time in my life. Um, on the first night, if you remember, you hired an enormous great car, and uh, we all travelled down to the Theatre Royal in Windsor drinking champagne. We did. Uh, what kind
0: of Clico, I seem to remember. It was in a very yeah. large bottle. Yeah. I don't know where you pinched it, honestly. <laughs> It's a local shop. I got it. All oh, right. No one was what weren't they looking? No, I, we caused a disturbance, and then I ran out with it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> anyway, happy times. But yeah. you know, I, I spent a long time grieving about the fact that it wasn't on anymore. But now, I mean, it's it's just it doesn't keep up to what people want nowadays.
0: We see. I do think it's a little unjust. I mean, I know that you you've kind of you know, okay, you're fine about it now. But I still get a bit cross because it was touring so well and it was doing brilliantly. And then, of course, the SH1T hit the fan, didn't it? It
2: did indeed, bastards. (laughs) Uh, Now, Darling or Waddingtons, who were a cuddly lot, and they'd come down to the show. Occasionally they'd bring a great pile of Cluedo games and sort of give them out to people and things like that. They are absolutely lovely, and they loved it. Um, But then they sold the rights to uh, Hasbro, who were American and big, and they managed not to include any chat about the play about Cluedo. So we were just told very coldly by Hasbro that they weren't prepared to do it anymore. And that broadly was that, apart from the fact that we tried several times, uh, especially Ian Liston, the wonderful Ian Liston, who was the producer of the show, uh, just bargained with them left, right and centre, but it never happened again. And there it is. I, finally, getting thoroughly fed up with the whole thing, I rewrote it and I took away the six things, seven things that made it Hasbro's one being the title, which admittedly is incredibly important, and the other is the names of the six people involved, Colonel Mustard, Reverend Green, uh, Miss Scarlet, all that lot. And uh, I thought, well, if if I rewrite it, leaving them out, but keeping it exactly the same format, the same plot, um, it's bound to be a smash hit again. Um, So I called it Cut, and... uh, I based it around the film industry, making a film in this old house with all these suspects having killed the evil director. And uh, so far so good. The uh, company in New Zealand uh, suddenly announced that they wanted to put it on. So actually the first time that Cut appeared was in New Zealand and it was a real hit over there.
0: what's so good about what you do you know ne- and that's something I've learned from you as well um as your daughter is that I never stand still so I'm always trying to think of another way to make money or another thing to do hence this podcast John and I do is because yes well we decided we're going to run a f- our own food festival um company and we did that and then we decided to do this and that so I, it's something never standing still and that's something that you do. So you'll always be thinking of some, some other area or some channel for your creativity, always.
2: Yes, that's very nicely put. And that's absolutely what I do. And now I'm touching a rather worrying age. Um, that side of me hasn't changed a bit. I'm forever thinking of new ideas I want to try out, new books. I mean, I've written a little biography. of It's like a 60s diary called uh, The Girl Behind the Red Door which I'm very proud of actually. Uh, I know there are one or two bits in it which you think were a bit over the top. A
0: bit saucy. A little bit saucy. (laughs)
2: Never has saucy been so saucy Um, but you know it's just an honest um, um, sort of overview of my time in the 60s and I thoroughly enjoyed doing it and then I wrote um, something about Noah. It's always puzzled me that um, that Noah managed to get every animal in the ark and some people as well. And um, why didn't the animals eat each other? How did the animals know where to go? All that sort of thing. And once the waters went down and they all ran out, where did they go? You know, so I decided I'd put this right and write an honest appraisal of what happened. And it's called Noah the Animal Rescue King, which is A R K. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm incredibly proud of that too and I've done about 20 illustrations for it the amount of work I do just on the off chance that something will happen and when I'm doing them I'm full to the brim with thinking about them I've just written a play called uh, Paris Tales which I think is probably the best thing I've ever done I'm incredibly proud of it and uh, luckily the local Tame Players Company are going to put it on in May and I can't wait for that. I think it's cute as you like.
0: And you're going to direct it as well. I
2: am director. <laughs> yeah. going to direct it. I want to get some good performances out of them.
0: Talking about Noah, I think we should say prior to Noah, in the seventies, you wrote a book called Once Upon a World, which I think is one of the, actually could be one of the best titles of a book in the world. I think it's a genius idea. So you rewrote uh, the most integral Bible stories for children. And it was dedicated to me I had two Charlotte in the book I remember. and I remember in the box room in Pinner in Middlesex you were there scurrying away in the evenings writing it and and doing all these beautiful illustrations for it and that was with your link with John Adam's John Adams toys and John Adam's toys still exist but they' are obviously they've been bought out although yeah. they're a different business now I remember again in the 70s sitting there this is child labour I hasten to add, because I didn't get anything for this. No money, Yes, nothing. you did. You got yeah. cuddles. I got cuddles for it. <laughs> whatever. Well, anyway, <laughs> I remember sitting cross-legged on the sitting room floor, putting together badge kits. Oh, yeah. And there were these little boxes, and I'd fold the box up, and I'd make the box, and then I'd fill the boxes with the different um, pieces to make the badges. And then, yeah, and I was like, I was a one-woman factory, one-girl factory, I yeah. seem to remember. That
2: badge kit, make yeah. a badge, it yeah. was called, rather inventive. Wasn't quite up to the standard of Once Upon a World, was it? In terms of <laughs> creativity, um, they call make a badge, and uh, it was their top-selling product that year, and it won the What Toy Award for that year. Okay. So, there, so that was a good inspiration. That was.
0: So Once Upon a World. I know you've just you've had it reprinted as well, haven't you? I had it
2: reprinted a year ago or two years ago, maybe. And uh, part of what I did was to send it, send copies out to any publishers I thought might like it because I wanted it republished. And Lion Publishing in Oxford, who are specialist uh, religious publishers, uh, took it up. And in fact, this morning, I've been talking to their marketing people um, for a considerable time this morning, just chatting about how they're going to launch it because it comes out in
0: March the main thing you are is a cartoonist.
2: Yes, I am now. I mean mm. back in the day I was cartoons have always been a backbone thing that I've done but I also I at one stage I was a graphic designer at one stage I was a copywriter. And um, now I'm really a cartoonist but I I love writing as well.
0: Yeah, well you always whenever I send you anything you correct everything I do. Absolutely send it back.
2: <laughs> I was only telling them about your t-shirt this morning that said I'm what was it? I'm uh, quietly. I'm, I'm quietly correcting your grammar as you're <laughs> talking to me, or something. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I bore that Which point. I do. Yeah. And so, with your with your cartoons, um, you're actually very well known for your cartoons and your style of cartoons. I mean, obviously, we think we look back now to the to the greeting cards that you did for many years. Oh yeah. For lovely Hicks. Sadly, not around anymore. And the really good card company. When you look back to the 80s and 90s, your cards were everywhere. You know, down to they were just sort of the the line drawing, the black and white line drawing, a little bit of colour, and for example, an elephant looking up and going, oh shit. That's and, right. You know, no, no. Somebody looking up with an elephant falling on and going oh shit. Yeah, that was as you, yes, would. Yes, you would do. And then the one that and up your bum, the, the person. Uh, yeah. It was you, Nick, from me. Yeah, What do you Again, suggested you see? it? Again, you see. No, yeah. I, don't
2: I thought I'll have me. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's classic enough for my taste. <laughs> but but we would did really yeah, it. Yeah, but that was that was the not particularly orange range it was called, and um, we did about two hundred postcards I think. And then there were calendars every year for about 12 years. Uh, T-shirts, cufflinks. Oh, there was a willy warmer, which was very successful.
0: (laughs) Can't see why. No.
2: (laughs) David Hicks said he tried it, but I didn't. (laughs)
0: Did he walk into the office? Probably. (laughs) Knowing
2: him, he probably did. And he was a wonderful man. Bless his heart, he got ill and... um, I won't go into any more details, but he is no longer with us. I know. And he was one of my favourite people, actually. He was a darling.
0: He was a sweetheart, and far too young as well. Yeah, and also
2: he made me probably more money than any other single company I've ever dealt with, I should think.
0: So easy to work with, because we just say a few things and then it kind of happens, which is, I think, what everybody, you are a client's dream in that respect, and John's here with us. He hasn't said anything because he's actually listening with earphones. But you'd agree, wouldn't you? Because you deal with my dad, don't you? Hmm. You're yeah. the one that he's shaking his head <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: up and down, as opposed to not, <laughs> as opposed to size Because well,
0: John does all the signage. He's sort of John does logistics and signage and you know infrastructure, don't you? Marquees. So, marquees. ludes, fencing.
2: Loos security. Yeah. You should see him fencing, by the way, it's superb, you know, he's got an epé, and, on guard. Yes, he does, all that. (laughs) And you do all the pretty stuff. Yeah. He always says that,
0: it's more (laughs) than just the pretty stuff, that's very mean.
2: Oh, John, you're too macho to want to do pretty stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You're a bit of a hands-on type. He
0: is, actually, give him a leather But
2: it's lovely, I mean, it's, Mm. you, you are great clients anyway, because you just love what I do, I hate people who say, that will do. Um, because it it won't if they say that will do and you mm. I mean we started that crazy map which I do or update every year. Um, That's
0: the floor plan for the, the whole. Festival. The floor
2: plan for yeah. the whole festival and John sends me over a uh, a map to show where everything's going this year and then I just work on it and then they they um, you two uh, change it about a bit, add this, take away that. Somebody pulls out, somebody else comes in, and. Um, it's just it's just great fun. It's not a challenge at all because you're so accessible. Um, it makes me do sort of sillier things than you would with a with a client who doesn't get you. Mm. You know, like the dog for the, the little dog in the dog show notice and things like that. You yeah. know, and and it's all just great fun. Yeah. Look forward to it. Oh,
0: good. Well, we long may that continue because we really enjoy. <laughs> Working with you and you doing it, and actually, I think it's really given identity to the festivals, hasn't it? Because of course, Tame Food Festivals a CIC, and it was started off for the people of town of Tame, and it's yeah. grown, and grown, and grown. So it's had to. Last year, it went undergo, it underwent um, a big change, a big logo change, and a big style change as well. And I think, and a brand new website. So it really helped refresh the whole event yeah. and and um, give it a lot more. I always thought sort of the
2: green. I we were sort of stuck with the green a little bit. And, and and while it's nice because it's outside so it's green you know mm-hmm. um it just needed to be more fun more color in yeah. it somehow
0: i'm talking about the food festivals now because i i'm um, a a bit of input from you but uh, what you think of our food festivals and you think because i think tame we don't own tame tame is a cic we run tame Whereas yeah. scrumptious food festivals Bradford is our baby, you know. Yeah. We, we we literally went in, didn't we? we? Said right, we're going to do one. We're going to do a food festival here. We're we're just going to give it a go, and we've done it. And we're now in, in year five and building it. But yeah. what do you think about the style of food festivals? I, th- I
2: think yeah. I think what you're doing is absolutely perfect. What stands out more than anything else is that you absolutely know what you're doing, and you're taking the trouble to try everything that's there. So you don't just say, "Oh, right, we've got a greasy spoon beef burger bloke who wants to sight. let's bang him on the end there, sort of thing. You don't do any of that. You you do it absolutely spot on. You care. And you use the enormous knowledge you've both got to make it absolutely right. And um, that's, well, that's all I've got to say about it, really. It's absolutely beautifully done. And people realise and people want to come along and enjoy it.
0: Well, Daddy, thank you very much. Um, it's a
2: pleasure. You're going to ask me about my favourite food. I'm
0: going to ask you now. No, this is your... And I have to say, I always say it in a very seductive way. What is your 50 shades of food, sir? This is something that maybe you'd like to eat in here on your own. You've got... Your your, your blinds are drawn. You turn the lights off. It's a bit of me time. Something... Something... <laughs> something you like to eat. That's a little bit sticky, maybe a little bit filthy, but it's a bit gorgeous and scrumptious.
2: All right, well... My top one, totally, is um, Christmas cake. Really? Yeah, I really? love it. I love it. Oh, I tell you what, we had a Marks and Sparks Christmas other other cakes are available. <laughs> um, no, a Marks and Sparks Christmas cake, and it was the most divine thing. It was absolutely lovely, and I can do a few mince pies as well. They don't suit me, <laughs> tummy wise, but I still take the risk. Yeah. And there's also an absolutely fabulous recipe for curried uh, sausage rolls, oh, well, which yes. uh, I found just by chance on, the, on, on um, whatever it is, and uh, <laughs> sausagerolls.com. And um, they are beautiful. Yeah. I can't remember who makes them, yeah. but they are just gorgeous.
0: The I think they're number two on Google. They used to be number one, but I've been, there's obviously another company has spent more money to be at number one on Google. Oh, but, people
2: just want to change I oh, know in time that it's just yeah, go rubbish back again, and go back yeah, to the top one
0: yeah, there's a, the, the curry sausage rolls are fantastic and you can find them in my cookery book Lottie's Country Kitchen they yeah. are available at all um, second hand bookstores <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, I'm not sure it's in print anymore oh, your, which is terrible Yes,
2: your book was excellent yeah. right, so, um, so curry also,
0: sausage rolls and what else?
2: Um, well what I love is this smashed up avocado which I put on, toast on um, sort of a really nice sort of bread, not just your white slice thing. I don't know, sort of things with bits and pieces in it. I don't know what it is. This is going well, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I toast that, spread, no butter, just spread the avocado all over it and put smoked salmon on the top. And that I can eat quite a lot of. I love that. And... That's about it, really, I think. I can't think of anything else. Oh, oh I do like uh, Turkish Delight and I like Maltesers. I can eat a whole box of Maltesers.
0: <laughs> do you remember last Christmas Um, you had my two year old Christmas pudding? It was fantastic. I suppose you don't remember it because I still think about it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. remember it? At I all. do. do the, you? yeah,
2: the top of my mouth has healed up now.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> well, see, every year John sulks because I don't make a Christmas cake anymore. Because no one eats it, I should just make it and I should cut it down here from now on. Well, of course. We
2: were making a Christmas cake once on one of your TV shows and every week you were putting more and more brandy into it. And um, about the sixth week you came on and said, if I, ca- if I carry on doing this, this cake's going to stand up at Christmas and tell dirty jokes.
0: Yeah,
2: I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great line.
0: <laughs> I remember saying that.
2: You had a lot of you work with a lot of people. I mean, David Soule, who was the dream man back in the 70s, or whenever it was, let's have a quiet night in or something. Um, Anyway, he he loved working with you and said it was the best programme you'd ever been on or something. And uh, you showed him that if you're going to be a real chef, you've got to put just a bit of uh, flour on your face.
0: Yes, I remember that. I did that too. Uh, yeah. And also,
2: past. you Norman Winston was in one of your shows, oh, and he gave you a lick.
0: He did. He licked my face in the middle of the program. <laughs> I was just okay. That's fine. Bless him. And then Terry Wogan. I did the Terry Gannon oh, show. Oh, the Terry for Wogan. Show. Yeah, he was... loved my dumplings. He said they were the finest dumplings.
2: Mm, he was right, yeah, <laughs> probably.
0: <laughs> oh, I worked with some some lovely yeah. people, and then um, yeah. I remember once I was working. It was the uh, Gloria Hunniford show, Open House and they didn't tell me and we were in dress rehearsal and they didn't tell me that they had got this guy, you know the advert for Dairy Milk with a Gorilla yeah. and he's so lifelike, well he was in that this gorilla was was in some programme and they didn't tell me he was going to come on set, <laughs> so I'm minding my own business and they've set me up closely, all the crew, and I'm, I'm there prepping the food and waiting for Glory to come over to say you know, well, the camera on here, camera on here you know, the dress rehearsal or whatever and at the corner of my eye the door opens and I see a gorilla <laughs> <laughs> like this, jumps up on the counter I go, <laughs> I'm screaming, there's food flying everywhere. Because I'm convinced in that split second it actually was a gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I thought about it afterwards, I thought, why oh, would there be a gorilla in yeah. the studio? It was completely mad, but the crew were just you know, yeah. in, falling all over the place. That they'd it would be quite good if
2: they brought a fryer on to start with and then a gorilla afterwards.
0: <laughs> and on that note. He,
2: <laughs> I knew you'd get fed up with me eventually. <laughs>
0: All right, Danny, thank you very much.
2: It's a pleasure. Lovely to see you both. Love you.
0: My dad, what a silly Billy, but a very clever man. In January, John and I took a trip to Cornwall to eat, walk, eat, meet, eat, stroll and eat. We met up for lunch with Lucy and her husband, Mark, who lived there. We ate at the Standard Inn in Port and it was absolutely incredible. No, seriously, incredible. Go there and enjoy the warm, cosy atmosphere and devour their Sunday lunch. I insist. It is also excellent value. We all had a generous amount of wine then I sat down with Lucy in one of their cosy nooks and we chatted food, cooking and festivals. Lucy, yes. right, we're in the depths of Cornwall aren't we? Yes. Uh, we're at the Standard Inn, in Port Canoe Port Scatho, Port Scatho. That's the one, Port Scatho. I've had some wine. It all sounds the same down there. <laughs> Um, it's a beautiful place. We am just talking about how lovely it is. Like, dimly lit, and it's just amazing. Perfect place to be on a cold January Sunday afternoon with yeah. you, my Absolute darling. Absolute heaven. Yeah. Thank we you. Have the people who listen to podcasts, they need to know who you are, Lucy. Because, of course, I know. We all know who you are, and people who come to the food festivals know exactly who you are. You are the wonderful woman that gets up onto the cooking stage and does the most amazing cookery demonstrations for us. But you're also um, previously from the milkshed. In Weston on the Green, where you had your cafe for a long time there.
3: Yep, ten there's, years. There's a
0: lot more to you
3: than that. <laughs> That's really nice of yeah. you to say. So,
0: where should we start? Should we start the fact you were a Tame girl and your parents ran the cafe?
3: Tame Tart. Parents ran the cafe in the Butter Market. So, anyone from Tame listening to this will know. Because it still exists, doesn't it? The, it does. the coffee house in the Butter Market, they bought when I was 15. And we moved into the flat upstairs. So I became a caterer, really. Well, I was—I already worked there. I worked there from when I was 13. And then one day I went in and my boss said, need to get everyone together. We're selling the business. So you might all lose your jobs. And I was mortified because I had two years, 13 and 14, I'd worked there. And mum and dad came in for their toasted tea cake in the afternoon, as they always did on a Saturday. And I said, oh, my God, Trevor's selling the coffee house and I might lose my job. I was really upset and they started ignoring me straight away and I thought, oh that's nice. They don't even care. Right, yeah. Brilliant. Anyway, by the time I got home that day from work, there was a for sale, hand-painted for sale sign in our front garden. And they had phoned their bank manager, they had this number. And he'd said, Yeah, I think I'll probably be able to, you know, sort it out. And they'd spoken to Trevor, my boss, and they'd arranged to buy the coffee house in Tame. That day. Dad had been a computer engineer for twenty years or something. And they just gave it all up, sold the house, moved into the flat, and they became caterers. And I carried, I kept my job. So that was really sweet of them to buy the cafe for their little princess. That's quite. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? But they did buy the cafe, and they changed their careers, and they regretted it. Forever since but um oh, really well you know who when you think catering is all this amazing thing and then you end up in it it's quite frightening isn't it yeah. no they didn't they had a brilliant five years and it was amazing and i lived in the flat above so all my mates would come home from school and we could turn the hot chocolate machine on and eat mum's chocolate mint slice she and the she made the best biscuits cakes date and walnut cake chocolate mint slice millionaire shortbread all that stuff so i had to you know, free access to. No wonder I was a bit chubby. To all that stuff. So from a young age, I had the. Yeah, you know, I got the bug because I used to do the kitchen with dad, and I'd do. Do you remember the hatches at the yeah, back I of the do. cafe? So yeah. dad would have the hot side. He'd do bacon and eggs and all that stuff, and I'd be on the toasting side. We used to do pink toast. Was a really famous item on the food menu because we made prawn cocktail sauce for jacket potatoes and for cheese and prawn toasties and things like that. So, what happened was all the kids would come in and say, I want to order toast, which was like 17p, hot buttered toast, but I want pink sauce on it. And they all cottoned onto this. And in the end, we had to charge. So, it became a menu item. Pink sauce was an extra 2p. So, instead of paying 17p for your round of hot buttered toast, you had to pay 19p. Because we were going through so much mayonnaise and ketchup with the pink sauce. So, that was a famous. Tame's most famous dish, I'd What's say, the pink sauce? is the
0: pink sauce. Did you pink, like the toast. pink toast? We used to
3: call it pink toast.
0: Did you like pink toast? It's
3: actually amazing, Lottie. And if you've never had cocktail sauce on hot butter toast, you need to try it. Yeah. You don't need anything else.
0: That's it. You can keep your
3: marmite, your peanut butter, your marmalade, <laughs> porn cocktail sauce on toast.
0: Brilliant. So yeah, that toast.
3: was that was early days. What was the question?
0: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's how you started. That's right. Yes. And then, um, so what did you do after that?
3: Um, I know you well, I know
0: you know Deb, the food um, the festival photographer, so the I know you work with, together with her.
3: Wonderful well. Debs. Yeah, Deb and I have worked together a lot over the years, for the last 30 odd years. We worked for Gilmore and Petha, which was a big local event catering company together, thing, outside of school, and, um, and then Mecco, which was another big event catering company that my husband ran. And we, she's worked with me at the coffee house on and off over the years as well, and we've worked together at Tame Food Festival and other festivals. So she's been a mate and a schoolmate, and yeah, she was sucked into this industry as well. And we're both sort of, you know, stuck here, trapped here, <laughs> trapped, happily, trapped. happily trapped. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But you
0: also you worked on yachts
3: too, didn't you? Yep, I had a brief period working in the Virgin Islands when I sort of ended up there. I went out for a holiday after a bit of a trauma and my friends ran uh, a a crude yacht. They were the couple that ran the crude yacht and I ended up getting a job as a sort of assistant chef slash deckhand slash whatever on the yacht. So I did that for a season, that was brilliant. Those are are tricks you pick up cooking on a yacht, having to use. Were
0: you seasick?
3: Not seasick at all, but my friend Sarah was terribly seasick and she was the head chef. So I'd end up doing all the donkey work down in the galley while we were under sail because she'd say, I've got to go and have a lie down. So she'd be in the cabin having a lie down and I'd be peeling the carrots and you know, prepping prawns and all that in the galley. Never, not seasick at all, luckily, and loved it. It was brilliant.
0: So after after that and after working for Mecca, you decided to open the milk shed in western in the green to take it over and turn it into the milkshed. yep and it has just been the most incredible success and it's it's a place it's a destination because it is in the middle of nowhere and the fact that you've achieved so much in a destination place you know because it's not you don't walk past it and just pop in no they have to drive to get there your reputation is so huge and it's always been busy always 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 but the food has been incredible and your big tarts (laughs) I also the salads <laughs> but everything on the menu is always so delicious and beautifully put together it was really been clever
3: oh well, thank you uh, I don't know what I was thinking but I had for reasons too sort of deep to go into I'd given up my job my career I decided I couldn't do that anymore and I needed a break and I didn't know what I was going to do but I'd always talked about opening my own restaurant and I'd tried to buy one in Cornwall quite a few years before and that had all gone wrong and so I'd been s- hankering after this for 10 or 15 years and trying to find somewhere. And Mark had driven past this place quite a few times and, it, and, and he saw it for sale and said to me one day, oh, there's, this, there's this funny place in Weston on the Green, I think it's an ice cream parlour, it's for sale, Would you, do you want to come and have a look at it? And I was thinking, "Oh, I quite like, I quite like not working but I went along with it so we we drove and had a look at it and it had parking and it was a big barn on a farm with loads of parking and I just thought yes this is it that's all I need is somewhere people can come to and park their car and this is going to be it this this will this will be it so we quickly bought it and closed down for 3 weeks and turned it into the milk shed which I had the vision and I had... I've been working on so many things for so long. I sort of knew what I wanted. But we only had three weeks to turn it around because we wanted to open for Easter. So it was utter carnage. And we hit the ground running with a terrible website and we didn't really know what we were doing. But uh, we opened and very, sh- very shortly after, um, the local food journalist came and had lunch. And she loved it and she wrote a piece for us in the Oxford Times. And it just went... Ballistic. so I was always on slightly on the back foot like I never had quite enough stuff because I was always very cautious <gasps> will this stop coming will it is this just a, a bubble that's going to burst I was always really conscious of that so always really aware that oh I can't have too many people and I mustn't get carried away with myself and so and then 10 years later we were still always a little bit on the back foot and it just went mad but I had a belief that if I did the food I wanted to do that's what people wanted because I knew I couldn't get what I wanted in that area easily. There are a few places, um, some notable places, but not you know you you just couldn't get food that was not what one would expect. In a just cafe in a tiny village. And uh, and it, it was, I was right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs>
0: exactly. And that's why people kept going there and, and flocking there. they their hundreds. Yeah. You know, when I was, used to go in there, it was always so busy. It was occasionally, you know, you'd have to wait for a table... For longer than I know, 20, 25 minutes, but you didn't mind. Not, not very often. not very often. You'd hang around and then you'd just find yeah. a table and you'd move someone off it, grab their bag, throw it at them yeah. and say, Get out so I can have your table. Um, but it was always, you know, it's all, everyone was always so jolly and it had such a lovely atmosphere and I, I just, I love it. Ah, oh, so thank you very much. It so let's go on to the food festivals. So you've been coming to Tame, started at Tame doing demos for us, but the first year we moved up to Showground, you did a big pop up, didn't you?
3: Yeah, yeah. so the first year or two I think it was still in the High Street did the demos there and then we, uh, the first year it moved to the showground we did a pop-up restaurant and that morning, I think you put me on the demo stage about 11 in the morning and I remember we did this pulled lamb flatbread with like curried cauliflower and sweet corn and brown butter and all this stuff and I demoed it and then the cafe, I went back Because it was lunch service, and the cafe was just rammed, (laughs) and everyone wanted the lamb flatbed and we were just it was brilliant fun absolutely brilliant fun we closed the milkshed that weekend because we wanted to take the whole team yeah. to the site so we could give it our all and we built we built it, it looked a little bit like the milkshed exactly inside like didn't it? it It was brilliant. and uh, had a really short menu oh, it was such good fun thank you yeah. so much for letting us do that oh, no, we loved it it
0: was great and then we did it during the evening as well where some chefs took over yes i think there were some dinner. chefs from bella zoo Involved? Yes, they were. Yeah, we we were helping,
3: but I think it was Josh who maybe went on to work at Hyde after that. Yeah, Yeah. I think he's the head chef at Hyde now. And he did the pop-up at uh, at Oli Dubu's restaurant. I think he's been the head chef there since then. But yeah, that night was great fun. It
0: was good. The whole weekend was awesome. I loved it. And then you've come back and you've always gone onto to the stage and always done the most wonderful, interesting food. And at Bradford and Able too, even in that thing, you turned up on the very first <laughs> summer, the most <laughs> raging
3: hangover. You were in a terrible state. I was in a terrible state. <laughs> I'm really ashamed and I'm sorry.
0: Been
3: We'd been working at the Open Golf in Kent and Deb, the so photographer, was with me. And we did a full day there. We'd done all week. And then we drove down that night, got to her sister's house locally. Yeah. And she said, oh, girls, I've cooked this salad. Let's have a bottle of rosé. We sat in her courtyard till about three in the morning drinking rosé. And then we had to get up at half seven to get up and sort ourselves out for the festival. And it was the hottest day of 90 the year. Degrees. Yeah, 90 degrees. And I remember waking up that morning, I had no clue where I was. I was in the <laughs> attic bedroom in this strange house, having drunk three bottles of rosé the night before or something. And thinking, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do this. But luckily, I was on late, so I had all day to recover, but there was, oh. I was trying to shade under the trees, thinking, oh, not going to be able to do
0: it. Because you turned up. And you just looked terrible. I was <laughs> thinking, because all the um, all the chefs that weekend have been pinged because of COVID. Yes. So I was just you were on the stage the, all the time. whole time. Whole time, just filling in gaps. And I just took one look at you and you didn't look very well. I actually didn't think you were hungover. I just, thought I just didn't look very well. I was thinking, oh, <laughs> shit, I could <laughs> do that one as well. <laughs> I pulled it off. But you rallied. Thank I you. waited. It was about
3: two thirty in the afternoon or something. I had to wait till the hottest part of the year. But there was a bit of shade, wasn't there? You had some cover was over the. A bit uh, of shade.
0: Yeah, it was. Oh, it was thank, heat.
3: Thank it was go great go fun, and all everyone there. That was such a nice festival. I loved it. it
0: is, it's great. It's a, it's a very it's a small one, but it's it's pretty.
3: You bad. had some great chefs there. We did. You had some great chefs. Yeah. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah, it was good when they arrived. When they turned up. Yeah,
3: the ones that weren't pink. Yeah,
0: they were poor great. you. And then, no. like last, I'm thinking back to last year when you did, you did a so experimental dish. I remember it had sweet corn. But I've, there's, no, Deb's got a great have, photograph of me stuffing my face up on the stage after you'd finished. I was holding my grandson in the Yes. Face. And then so, uh, I must send you the picture. Pretty. And there's me eating. I the think
3: food. I've, I think there's Deb's has sent it to me. She sent it. Oh, that's really nice of you
0: Everything you do is exquisite, you've got such a great eye for making things look good, but also just putting different flavours together, you're very brave, you're very contemporary, but you don't make it poncy.
3: Ah, uh, well yeah, that's I
0: don't like poncey. <laughs> no, nor
3: do I, nor not, do I. I'm not a phone girl, yeah. I don't
0: it's a bit co- cook it's a cooker's spit on my yeah. plate, I'm not, you know, I don't just it, you just make it look tasty. I think sort of co-
3: cooking party. is, everyone. everyone can cook if you love food and you're passionate, everyone can cook, but putting things together, I love curating a menu, that's my favourite thing, so when we did the pop-ups at the cafe and it was a set menu four courses, no choice, I love that, I'm in a bit of a fascist and a control freak, so if I can choose you know, because when people choose badly, like they choose, you know, a beef dish to start with and then a Beef or a venison for main course, and they said, "No, you what? What are you doing? You know that's wrong." So being able to dictate, no, this is perfectly balanced dish, and we're going to have nudie, and then we, and then you know the venison, and then a fish, and you know you can just put together the most wonderful menus. But when people order, they can order badly, and I hate people ordering badly. So I like to be in control, and I write the menu. You can't muck around with it on a pop up night. Of deviation. No deviation. So I. That's.
0: I love that. Yeah. and I, I think love. that's right. When I had a cookery demonstration business, um, people would book in for the day, and they say, "What's on the menu?" So, well, I don't know yet. Well, can you give me an idea? No. Yes. And they would just turn up and i say, right, you've got three courses, just like you. They've all been well-balanced, they've been thought through, and that's what you're eating. And people actually, sometimes when you take that decision away from people, they're happier.
1: I love it. Because
0: they can relax and talk to each other, because they're not concerned about what they've got to eat. But it's different
3: to a tasting menu. Like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, a seven-course tasting menu. But if it's just three courses, three courses or something like that, of just... Not Ponzi food, just really delicious plated food that someone else has chosen. I love that choice being taken away because I always have food envy as well, and I have anxiety about ordering. It's like oh, I can't order. I want to order last. Wait till everyone else has gone round the table. Because, will I get it right? Will I get it right? But if we're all having the same thing, well, I can't, can't swear on this, but
0: you can. can't fuck it up. So,
3: you know, you don't want to be the one that orders the worst, do you? You want to be the smug one that ordered the best. It's the worst thing. And
0: I'm just like you, I'll wait till everyone's ordered, even though I can't make my decision. And it's
3: hard to be satisfied with what you've ordered because, oh,
0: is that a little bit better? So, yeah, set menu. Love it. No choice. Right, so Lucy, you're coming back, hopefully to take
3: this here. Have I asked you what you are, are you? Well, I've
0: assumed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't assumed.
3: Well, Of assume. course not, assume. but I'd love to. In June, you'd like to come to Brampton because we've
0: got a masterclass tent. <laughs> so something very simple maybe you'd like to do a masterclass on. That's not too much cooking. Just toast? Do pink toast.
3: Masterclass in pink toast.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Now, <laughs> just be brilliant. I can probably pull that off. Can you imagine getting every city down, like, this is very popular? Obviously. Take
3: notes. Nigella did a whole programme about how to butter the toast. So yes, you know, not, I'm not comparing myself to Nigella. It's far nicer,
0: darling. And you're a better cook. Um, better chef, actually, I hasten to add. So, I'm going to ask you your... Fifty Shades of Food yeah, so now. Now, I know thinking, you've yeah, listened to yeah, other episodes, so you know what I'm going to ask you. But it's, I'm just going to say what it is because I say it every time. It's something sticky, um, something a bit naughty and cheeky that you like to eat on your own, with the curtains drawn, the front door locked. Maybe your pyjamas, maybe nothing on at all. It's entirely up to you. It's your time, your me time, with some food. What yeah, is yeah.
3: It? yeah. Well, okay, okay, so I've got two have to interpret the question properly, but neither of these are sexual. They're just my kind of guilty, greedy food. First one's really simple, it's just frazzles, and I know that a lot of people feel the same way about frazzles. And when I worked at Brown's restaurant as a waitress in the early 90s, they used to have all those dressings for the salads, do you remember? And there was a blue cheese dressing. So we used to buy frazzles and then get a bowl of the blue cheese dressing and dunk frazzle it's bacon and blue cheese is a classic what you'd have with your wedge salad you were talking yes, about earlier. Yeah. So that's beautiful. But my number one food for oh greed is mashed potato. In any form but like colcannon when I lived on my own in London in the winter I'd just go home and make a massive bowl of colcannon mash and gravy is like number one there was a restaurant Just in Soho, just off Carnaby Street, that served it as an actual dish. It was just a bowl of mash and bone marrow gravy. Beautiful. But my, I think probably the best dish I've ever had was in a bistro in Paris. Bistro Vivienne. And I didn't know what it was going to be till it arrived. But it was a deconstructed chicken pie, sort of. So imagine, this is what they did. You know burnt pastry, how good burnt pastry tastes. Just slightly over. So that ooh, slight Just on the bitter, edge of bitter, on the edge of bitter. So there, this plate came out. And if you've got the creamiest mash ever, get a big ring, like a chef ring, fill the bottom with creamy mashed potato, and make a dip in it. And then into that dip, you're going to put chicken pie filling that you've drained of its gravy and kind of put that in the middle
0: nice then, and tender yeah,
3: yeah super tender and in a little bit of gravy but not too much gravy and then cover the top of that with more mashed potato so that it's sort of sealed at the edges and then on the top of that imagine if you've got a sheet of just on the edge of burnt pastry really good pastry and smash it and then put a layer of crumb on the top of that layer of mashed potato Lift the ring off, and then a jug of chicken gravy, chicken pie gravy on the side. So you don't need a knife. You've got a fork, two layers of the softest mash, shredded, moist chicken pie in the middle, like the meat and the gravy and stuff. The shards of pastry on the top, but they're just like pangra or a crumb on the top. And then you moisten it with as much gravy as you want around the outside. It was phenomenal, and I dream of it. And we've made it, we made it in lockdown, and you know, it's a bit of a. It'd be easier to make a chicken pie, but there's something about not having to. You could use a spoon or just a fork, or, you know, it's real sofa food. Absolute perfection. So mashed potato in any form, cheese, cabbage, cannon, all that jazz.
0: Yeah, And
3: I don't want a steak on the side. I don't want any. I just want potato and vegetables and butter. That is it.
0: I'm with you, sister. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so with you. My mouth is watering. I've just eaten a plate of roast um, lamb. But we could both know, eat we,
3: a deconstructed chicken pie yeah, from Bistro um, Vivienne yeah. right now, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. Could. Easy.
0: That actually yeah. sounds amazing. Just sit down. With you and the mashed potatoes. It's comfort. It's cuddly. It's. Yeah, and I don't easy. eat loads of it because, you know,
3: we try not to just
0: yeah. gorge on carbs
3: and potatoes. <laughs> but
0: when you do it, has oh. got to be the best. It's got yeah. to have the most butter and the most yeah. cream you It's
3: got to be whipped. Properly, in you know, it, mash it ideally with a potato ricer and then a wooden spoon and a strong, muscly man that's beaten it to submission with
0: equal amounts of butter, pretty
3: much salt.
0: A bit of cheese on the top.
3: Oh, yes, yes.
0: Do you know, it's so lovely to talk to you because both of us love food, so amazing. do. You're so oh, talented at what I you do <laughs> <laughs> and whatever you do now you've left the milkshed. I know whatever you're going to do it's going to be immense because you are so talented and whatever yeah, it is really that you decide so. to do wherever you go that's hopefully I'm cool hopefully somewhere lovely um, <laughs> that we can visit um, Yes it, it will just be amazing because that's just what you are and everything you touch there is
3: gold Well you're very lovely that's really kind It's
0: true It's, true. it's absolutely true Everything you it. do is
3: amazing as well nice, I love it nice. Come on no.
0: You are better, honestly. No, but that's
3: really nice of you to say so. And I'm not ready to stop and want to carry on.
0: Good, yeah. Right, a mashed potato lady. bar. Oh, <laughs> oh <you laughs> not. Jesus, can you imagine the profit margins on that anyway? <laughs> I think you've just hit the nail on that. Got it. it. Yes, I'm in a devil. soup
1: pot. <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's just do <laughs> do that piece. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine that All the beautiful Cornish potatoes, with Cornish butter, and all that lovely different cheeses that are available all around the country. You can put in that, and oh my God,
3: gorgeous local <laughs> cabbages, beautiful.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Oh. Hello. All right. We'll work on that. Yeah. Thanks, darling. And um, yeah, I will see you in um, in June and in September.
3: Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> lovely to see you.
0: Thanks Lucy, we're back in Cornwall soon. Fancy lunch? Well that's it for this week, another joyous jaunt into festivals, food and drink, a luscious leap into layers of yumminess. Next time we're going loco down in Tamy Polco, <laughs> chatting to Simon Hartley from Hartley's Cookery School and sampling his terrific tappers. And we'll be meeting the fabulous air fryer queen that is Claire Andrews. <laughs> If you like listening to our podcast we just love producing it if you think you know someone that would enjoy listening to it too please share and pass on please like and follow us on the platform you listen with we are on instagram truly scrumptious podcast and of course there are our festivals where this podcast stems from bradford and avon food and drink festival and tame food festival website links are on our profile but just google them and you'll find us and buy tickets to visit thanks again for listening